We're going to go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 1. Reading in the word of the Lord. It says, now faith. Everyone say faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. So if you have a favorite in the Bible, if you have an elder in the Bible that you look at, man, I would like to be like that prophet. I'd like to be like that preacher. I'd like to be that, like that man, that woman of God in the Bible. The reason why they have a good reputation, the reason why they obtained a good report was through faith. If you ever want to obtain a good report, and growing up, I was a little afraid of report cards. And uh, I, I think I've told you this before. When I, I worked many years at the Boys and Girls Club, and every time it was report card, the kids would come in, and we were to ask the kids what kind of grades they got in the report card. And the kids would say something like this, I got an A. I got an A. And I was like, well, how'd you do in math? Well, the teacher gave me an F. You know, they got the A in gym, but the teacher gave them the F in math. You know, we don't ever want to take credit for something negative. If we ever want a good report, we got to do some things. Someone say amen. Verse 3 says, through faith. Everyone say faith. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You may be seated. Just want to talk to you for the next couple moments about the evidence. The evidence. We read in this familiar portion of Scripture, if you've been around the Bible and spent a little time dabbing in it here and there, this is one of those portions of Scripture that is somewhat familiar to many, if not most, that engage the Word of God. If you do not get into the Word of God, I want to encourage you to begin your Bible reading. If you've never done it before, it's a pretty convenient era where you can download an app and you can get some instruction on how to read through the Bible in a year. But if that task seems daunting and you're relatively new and you want to have an easy reading plan, I recommend MAP, Matthew, Acts, and Proverbs. Matthew, Words of God, Acts, the Church of God, Proverbs, the Wisdom of God. And those three books in the Bible have 31 chapters or less. And if you read the chapter in relation to the day of the month, you can go through all three of those books every single month. And the reason why I recommend those, not that we don't recommend anything else in the Bible, but if you are new into trying to discipline yourself into a habit of Bible reading, they are easy reads in the manner of our mind is more familiar with those styles of writing Versus when you open up the book of Leviticus in your Bible, you can be like, what in the world? And it could be discouraging when you're reading through it. And, and also you were at first inspired and you open up your Bible, you, you sort through the book of Genesis, you, you coast it through the first few chapters of Exodus, but all of a sudden you start getting into the layout of the tabernacle and you kind of get disengaged and discouraged. And so sometimes it's good in your new walk and new commitments to try to Find somewhere that you can easily get involved in the Word of God and you can glean and grow. So I would encourage that if you're looking for some Bible reading in your life. Matthew, Acts, and Proverbs. And those will feed your faith. Everyone say faith. Now faith, there's various 
uh, definitions to it depending on how faith is being referred to. Faith can be an expectancy. Faith also can be your belief system. And when we talk about faith here, uh, some people struggle with that in the day in which we live because especially when we're referring to God, when we're referring to the afterlife, when we're referring to the death, the burial, the resurrection, when we're referring to a virgin birth where Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and Jesus died and then he came back to life on the third day and rose again and ascended up into heaven. That could mess around with our minds a little bit if we are in a day and an age where everyone wants proof of something. They want Proof of purchase. They want proof that, uh, you know, that they have that sickness in the report. They want proof of whatever it may be. Everyone say faith. Those who do not believe can give various reasons as to why they are not a person of faith. You know, if there is a God, why is there so much sadness and sorrow in the world? If there is a God, why is there murder? Why is there rape? If there is a God, why won't he just manifest himself in front of me and just talk to me? If the, and these are, these are logical or these are legit questions to ask. We ought to ponder some things. We shouldn't just be giving ourselves to anything. But at the same time, you can have all the facts piled up. At the end of the day, it will still take a leap of faith into this walk called Christianity, you know, and we've done this before many times where we went through all the evidences in the Bible where you have to definitely pause and consider the facts that are found in the word of God. Where did they get that information from 6,000 years ago? If there is no God, how did they know how to handle certain disease 6,000 years ago? If there is not a God. How did they know when to circumcise a child? How did they know what particular foods to have in their diet or to exclude from their diet? How did they know that if it was just some random person trying to take authority and control over a group of people when there was no scientific microscope to put these things underneath and they could take samples and begin to investigate the molecules and, and proteins and all that kind of stuff. How on earth would they know all that? Unless perhaps someone told them. Someone that is the designer, the one that is the author and the finisher of our faith. People want evidence. People want proof. Hebrews eleven six goes on to say, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Talking about God. If we are to come to God, it's impossible to please him unless we have faith. And faith is someone that comes to God. We must believe that he exists. But if we're not careful, we stop at that step believing just in his existence and then I am just someone that exists at well as well and just wanders through life, believing there is a God. He exists. I exist. He'll do his thing. I'll do my thing. And I'm just hoping that I'm going to see him one day. If that's the only way to live your faith, that is a very shallow way to live your faith. I don't mean that in an insulting manner. I don't mean that in a demeaning manner. But what I'm trying to communicate, hopefully today, through the help of the Holy Ghost, is there is so much more than just believing that God is. 
That's a great first step, believing that he is. But you don't want to stop at that place in your faith. Because the Bible says you must believe that he is. You can't please him unless you do. But then we must also believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is not only there in existence, though you can keep him there in his existence and you can stay in your existence and that's all there is to your faith. Or you can realize there is a God and this God created the heavens and the earth and God put all this effort into this thing called life, into this world. And that I, and he created me and he created me to pursue him. And the Bible says, if we would pursue him, he would reward our pursuit. Jesus said it like this in the book of Matthew, chapter five and verse six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. But it doesn't stop there. It's 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 all right if you're hungry and thirsty, but you got to go after what you're thirsty for. Jesus said, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Those people shall be filled. God does not fill someone that's hungry and thirsty, but does not go after what they hunger and thirst for. God is interested in a mutual relationship. The answer is in the pursuit. And our enemy, the devil, Satan, the adversary, will do anything to prevent the pursuit of God. He will attack us, he will distract us, and he will discourage us. There's other ways he works on us, but those are very common things that he will do. He will either attack you in such a manner where you're afraid to pursue God. He'll distract you in such a way where you don't ever even think about God. Or he'll discourage you so much that you just think there is no hope for you in God. And he does all of this through the mind. He works on our mind. We must constantly keep our guard, guard up. Romans 1, 19 and 20. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them. Check this out. Verse 20 says, The invisible things of him, talking about God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. When we open up in our text here today and we talked about now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, it may be difficult for some people today to believe that there is a God, but God has wired everybody in a very specific way to contemplate the idea of God. Think, think of it in, in this maybe uh, small manner, this very reduced scale. If you were walking through the prairies of South Dakota and uh, going for a hike around here, and as you were walking, you stub your foot on something and you look down and you see an iPhone. And you pick that iPhone up and it turns on and it's already unlocked and you begin to interact with it. The chances of you staring at that iPhone and coming to the conclusion that, you know what, I bet you this iPhone randomly came together all by itself. If you, if you, you, you stubbed that, your toe on that iPhone, you picked it up, and you're like, man, 
You know what? I bet you that this came from one little tiny cell and this crawled out of water. And after about 200 million years and about 392 tornadoes and five tsunamis and 6,000 years of hurricanes, this all just came together. And I have this, this device that just so happens to function the way it does. Nobody here in their right mind would leap to that conclusion. You would begin to contemplate, where did this come from? Whose is this? How does it function? How does it work? How does it operate? But a logical conclusion is that there was an intelligent design behind that device. Somebody was the brains behind it. Somebody got pulled the resources together. Somebody brought all those elements and united them and caused them to function as they do in your hand today. And on a larger scale, so it is with you and I. We look at this world, and if you were to carefully look under a microscope, if you were to look into the anatomy of a human body, if you were to look into the cell of some sort of plant, you would begin to discover that there is not chaos behind everything. There is evidence for something intelligent that put it all together. This is good news here today if you are weak in faith and discouraged in who you are and feeling as if you're just going one day after another day and you have no value, you have no purpose, you have no significance, and what's the use? This is good news because that means you are not some random occurrence of happenstance or chaos. But if you look at yourself like someone could look at that iPhone, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Somebody put thought into you. Somebody put care and craft and process to make sure you function as you do. Now, the Bible says that you look at all, you can look at all the invisible things and through observing nature, you should begin to realize that there is a God. That is what the word declares And so we are without excuse if we try to dismiss this idea of God. There is more than enough evidence. People like the Pharisees, even though Jesus performed the miraculous in front of the Pharisees, they still struggled with wanting to believe who he was because their motive was wrong. And they asked for a sign and Jesus forbade giving them a sign in the moment. He says, there's only one sign that I'm going to give you. And that is a sign of Jonah. Jesus was referring to the Old Testament Jonah and the whale, where that man jumped over the boat and a whale swallowed him. And Jesus said, just like that man was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, then he came out of the belly of the whale. So will I, Jesus referring to himself, so will I be in the belly of the earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried in a grave. But three days later, I'm coming out of that grave like Jonah came out of that whale. And so the good news here today is we serve a Savior named Jesus Christ who died for our sins, buried in a grave. And on the third day, he rose again. If you need some sort of evidence, they still have yet to find the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not here, but he is risen just like he said he would. You say, well, you know, that there's a lot of bodies out there that we have yet to find. And you're right about that. But those bodies don't have all of time designated to them. 
surrounding them. All of time has to do with this centrical figure named Jesus Christ. Whether you want to call it, you know, B.C., A.D., A.E.C., E-L-M-N-O-P, whatever you want to call it. All of time still revolves around a central figure named Jesus Christ whose body they have yet to find. There's never been anybody like Jesus Christ. Now, your faith is vital. We're talking about the evidence here today because the Bible says faith is the evidence of things unseen. And we talked last week about faith. We talked about fragmented faith. And I still feel to be led in the Holy Ghost to be in the vein of this thing called faith. And we talked last week from Romans 12, 3, that each of us has been given a measure of faith. Now, how do we measure that faith? Let's go to James 2, 14. And I got a Bible study here today, and I might not be able to get through it, and we're going to maybe have to keep moving forward in this subject. I don't know, but with the help of the Lord, hopefully I'll try to finish up here today, and I won't eat up your time and make you all angry at me. But James chapter 2 and verse 14, and I'm going to move fast and paraphrase just for the sake of time. What does it profit or what does it benefit people of God? If a man says he has faith and does not have works, can faith save him? This is the question the apostles asking He says, look, take a a brother or a sister, you know, someone without clothes, and they have no food. And if one of you say to that person that is without clothes and without food, you, you go ahead and go. Peace be unto you. Be warmed. Be filled. But you don't even give them that which is needful to the body. What does it benefit that person? Someone comes and they have needs. Oh, you're okay. I, be warm, be clothed, and you close the door. That doesn't put clothes on their back. That doesn't put food in the stomach. And then he says this, even so faith, if it has not works, if there's no evidence, if there's no substance, that faith alone is dead. If a man says you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, these aren't popular verses in, in, in modern day Christianity in North America because, you know, we all like to believe that God is. And park it right there. But there's more than just parking it where God is. There is something important called the pursuit of God. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So when someone says, I have faith or I am a believer, I I can say, well, all right, you're a believer. I'll show you I'm a believer by the way I live. You show me you're a believer without living like a believer. That's the question he poses here for us to ponder. This is in your Bible. And so he says, look, he gives another extreme example, just kind of like I like to give extreme examples. You believe there's one God? Good for you. The devil believes the same thing you do, and he trembles. Meaning that the only difference between the devil and you, you might both believe there's one God, but the devil sometimes shows more faith in that one God than a believer does. Because the devil has a reaction to the reality of that one God. The Bible says he physically trembles at the thought, the idea, or the revelation. Because the devil was in heaven at one point. He knows this God. He's seen this God. And he was defeated by this God. And so he actually trembles. That's why it shouldn't be so difficult for us sometimes to actually register in our mind that there is a God. And this God created me. And I'm only breathing because he permitted me to. And he's given me this gift called salvation. I think it's okay every 
now and again. If the devil can adjust himself to the presence of God, I think we can react to the presence of God. Not trembling out of a fear and retreat, but a reverence and an awe of this awesome, powerful, holy God. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. He's worthy. Are you going to let the devil outfaith you? Are you going to let the devil outact you? Are you going to let him outrespond you? I'm not going to let the devil show more awareness of God than me because the devil cannot be redeemed. But let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We go on reading here in verse 20. He says, but will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If you've never read that in your Bible, I would circle it, highlight it, underscore. It's not salvation by works, but your faith without works means your faith is inactive. It is dead. It's not working. There's no evidence of that faith. And he gives the example of Father Abraham. Look, Abraham was justified by works. He offered his son upon the altar. And you see how his faith with his works and by works was his faith made perfect or complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God imputed into him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. Now you see how that by works, a man is justified, not by faith only. He even gives the example. If you ever feel like you're too far gone, he says there was a woman named Rahab who was a harlot and she was justified by works. And she did all this in the Bible. The Bible says in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. Also, we go to second Peter one, five. I know this is a lot of scripture, but I want to make sure we have a foundation here. He says, besides this, give all diligence. Everyone say diligence. You got to make a concerted effort to add to your faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But he says now add to your faith. If you're not adding, you're losing. And how do we add to that faith? Here's two. The verses aren't up there, but you could jot these down if you're taking notes. That is preaching and praying. How do you add to your faith? Preaching and praying. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And how can we hear without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? It's the difference hopefully you feel when you come to service here and then when you leave service here. You come with a particular measure of faith. But when you are in the presence of the word of God that is rightly divided and proclaimed to you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. That's why it's good to have Bible when the preaching is going on. It's good to be speaking and proclaiming the word of God. To add to your faith, you need to add the preach word of God to your ear. It's why you should make a concerted, diligent effort. I'm going to do everything I can to be in the house of God. I'm not going to miss church next Sunday. I'm not going to miss church Wednesday. I'm not going to buy into the lie and the argument that it doesn't matter if I attend church or not. No, your measure of faith is called for an addition, something to be added to it. And when you come to the house of God with the people of God and the word of God goes forth, all of a sudden you came with your shoulders slouched, but now you're standing up a little more straight because faith has been added to your measure. But then another is praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude 120, building up your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It's great to hear the preach word of God, but it's even better to go home and begin to pray the word of God in your lives. Now, healthy faith does more than heal. It makes whole. 
Luke 17, 11, we read in the word of the Lord, Jesus is passing through these area. And as he enters into a certain village, there's 10 lepers, 10 sick people that are standing a great distance. And in verse 13, they lift up their voice. This is very important to catch. They lift up their voice. They raise their voice above that of a whimper or a whisper. They lift up their voice and they say, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, Jesus already knew they were there, but Jesus looked to where the voice was lifted. If you want Jesus, if you want the master to have mercy on you, you've got to learn to lift up your voice. If you want him to look on you, you've got to lift up your voice. It's not enough just to believe that he is. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. You can't just sit there on the pew and just kind of hopefully by osmosis absorb all everybody's spirituality. You yourself as an individual have been given the responsibility by God with the voice that he gave you. The Bible says, let every thing that has breath praise ye the Lord. If there's breath in your lungs, you are a candidate to cry out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Is there anybody here that needs a little mercy in your life today? I don't know about, I need mercy today. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or not. I, as a man of God, still need mercy every day. And I've learned that his mercy is new every morning. And as they lift up their voice, Jesus says this, go show yourself into the priest. That's all he says. And as it comes to pass, they, it says, as they went, they were cleansed. It doesn't say that Jesus said, you are healed. He said, go show yourself to the priest. Go. After they cried out this prayer, after they humbled themselves and lifted up their voice, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Though there may be nothing changed right then and there, maybe no real comprehension or real feeling, but obedience. Faith without works is dead. But by faith, they went. And as they went, see, You may not understand, but obedience begets understanding. As they went, they begin to understand why they're going to the priest. Because it says, as they went, they were cleansed. They were healed as they went. The more you obey the preached word of God, the more by faith you have evidence that you agree with the word of God. The cleansing comes as you go. The cleansing comes in the walk of obedience and we'll understand better by and by. The Bible says one of them saw that he was healed and he turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Regardless of what everyone else is doing, if Jesus touches you, if Jesus heals you, don't keep walking away. If Jesus has done something, and I've seen it, I don't know how many times, someone comes to church, they get healed, they get filled with the Holy Ghost, they get delivered, God encourages them, then they walk away and they never come back. God did a mighty work that day. A lot of positive vibes going on. A lot of positive energy, right? A lot of amazing things occurring in the house of God. And then they just keep walking away. 
But this one man, only 10%, the minority of the group, realized what was happening because he was obeying. And because he was obeying, revelation came upon him. And the Bible says that he fell down on his face, in verse 16, at the feet of Jesus and he gave him thanks. He was the least of all those guys. He was a Samaritan. The guy had baggage. He had issues. He had problems. He had a lineage of rebellion. He had a lineage of compromise. He had a lineage of backsliding. But this man that day, he saw Jesus do a work in his life and he went back to him. And the Bible says he fell on his face and he began to thank Jesus and worship him. And as he did that, Jesus asked this question. Where's there 10 of you that were cleansed? Where's the 90% of people in this community? Where's the 90% of people from your crowd? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save you a stranger. And Jesus said, arise, go thy way. Thy faith had made thee whole. Jesus recognized the faith after that man had evidence of his faith. Not before did Jesus acknowledge their faith. They lifted up their voice. They cried out. They believed that he was maybe an element of faith there. But this man was unlike the 90%. He had evidence to back up what he said with his voice. With his voice, he called Jesus master. With his voice, he said, have mercy on me. But with his action, Jesus acknowledged his faith. Your faith works. And here's what happened because that man manifested his faith. He had substance to his faith. He had proof of his faith. Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. The other guys were healed, but I have now restored everything you lost. Look, if you're here today, all of us have a a sin called leprosy. All of us have had this sickness in our life. Amen. Nobody has lived a life sinless but Jesus Christ. We all have lost some things in this life of sin. We all have regrets from this life of sin. But if we lift up our voice loud and we cry out to Jesus and ask for mercy, he'll give you mercy and he'll forgive you of that sin called leprosy and he will heal you. But there's something else that Jesus wants to do in your life. Though salvation is the greatest thing of all, Jesus can give you reconciliation. He can go above and beyond just salvation, just you believing in him, just you having an awareness of him. The Bible says when they begin, when that man fell down on his face and cried out, thanking Jesus, he said that you are whole. He gave him back every piece that that leprosy stole from him. He gave him back every element that he was lost from his health. Are you here today? Can you hear the word of the Lord today? Is there somebody right now? that the devil has taken so much from you and you feel as if you'll never get it back. I'm telling you, if you would have evidence of your faith, God will come through and he will restore. But hear me, the devil does everything he can to, to suppress your faith, to get you to hide the evidence to intimidate you that you believe in him. You might have a lot, a, a mental assent about him. You might have, you know, like a professed faith about him, but it's more than just having a mental assent. It's more than just having a professed faith. There's got to be evidence of that faith. 
And God is wanting us to show that evidence here today. In Job 1, 6 and 7, I'm not going to read all because I don't have time, but basically there was a time in heaven where all the angels, those that were still in heaven, those that were fallen, they would appear before God. But the Bible says in Luke 10, 17 through 20 that Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. There was a time Satan or Lucifer was an angel in heaven, but he rebelled against God and God kicked all the angels out. But even at that point, the angels, the fallen angels, the devil, still had access into heaven. They would appear before God and they would talk and they would have discussion. But we read this occasion in Revelation 12, 7. I'm hurrying up. It's 2.45. I'm going to try to wrap it up in 15 minutes here, okay? In Revelation 12, 7, we read some insight of the heavenlies. And it says, Michael, the archangel, was fighting against the dragon, the devil, the devil and the fallen angels. And in verse 8, the Bible says that dragon did not prevail. The devil did not win the battle. And check this out. Neither was he found there anymore in heaven. The great dragon, dragon was cast out. The serpent called the devil Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and all his angels cast out with him. And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now is come salvation, strength, the kingdom of our God, the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Basically, the devil, he would come before the throne room of God, and he would cast accusation about the people of God. These people, they, they're, they're irredeemable. They're wicked. They, they're just serving you for these motives and these purposes and these reasons. He had access to the throne room of God, and he would bring accusation against the people of God. He would stand there in the courtroom. He would stand there in the very throne, the very chair of the judge, the quick and the dead. He'd stand there in front of God, and he would begin to state his case of all the reasons why you and I have no business being in the church, why we have no business being saved, why we have no business being forgiven, all the things that we've done wrong. But the Bible says that God booted that snake out of heaven permanently. He was no longer allowed to re-enter into the courtroom. And so now, basically, the enemy, kicked out of the courtroom, does everything he can to keep us from going to the throne room of God. He tries to convince, he talks and speaks into your mind. There's no hope for you. There's no way you're going to be saved. There's no way you're going to get out of these drugs. There's no way you're going to get out of this alcohol. There's no way you're going to get your life together. Your family is, uh, irre- it, it can never be repaired. Nothing could ever be restored. There's no hope for you. Might as well as quit, give up, just be quiet in church. Don't lift your hands. Don't clap. Don't come to the altar. Don't pray. Don't lift up your voice. It's weird anyhow. He just does everything he can and it will sound in your mind, very logical and rational. It will make sense to you not to raise your hands. It will make sense to you not to lift up your voice. It will make sense to you not to pursue God diligently because you know he exists already. Why do anything else? He will do everything he can. And if he sees you go to the courtroom, he wants you to go there defeated and discouraged and distraught. But check this out. There's a people that overcome that accuser of the brethren, how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. 
the evidence. If that devil, if that prosecutor can deflate your faith enough and keep you down and discouraged that you enter into the presence of God on the last day of 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 uh, your life and you've done no prayer, you've done no fasting, you've done no church attendance, you've done no Bible reading, you haven't done anything. You'll walk into that courtroom and you will get exactly what you thought would happen. And that is you will lose your case in the courtroom because you brought no evidence with your faith. Faith is the evidence. If you really have faith, if your faith can rise above defeat, if your faith can rise above fear, if your faith can rise above doubt, if your faith can rise above inferiority complex, if your faith can be lifted up against a low self-esteem, if your faith can rise above the lies of the enemy, you will have evidence. You will have proof when you go into the courtroom and you will overcome that prosecutor by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. All you need to do when you stand in that courtroom is you bring evidence of your faith. I prayed the prayer of faith. I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the washing away of my sins. I've been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I've lived a life holy and acceptable unto God, which has been my reasonable service. You don't have to be afraid of judgment day. You don't have to be afraid to stand in that courtroom because you have proof. You have evidence and God will cause you to triumph. We go on reading. I'm going to hurry up to a close. The Bible goes on to give this picture it paints and says, you ought to start rejoicing in verse 12. In verse 13, it says, when the dragon saw that he was cast down to the earth, basically, he, he, got, he got knocked down so fast he didn't know what hit him. Like, it took him a moment. Like, like, anyone ever get clocked in the face and you see stuff? Or actually, you see nothing and you're just out for a while and you didn't know you were knocked down and you come to your senses? Nobody's been hit before, you guys. That's wonderful. That is good. That's good. I'm glad you've never been hit before. But if you ever had a mouth and you got hit because of your mouth, you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm a little guy, but I had a big mouth growing up. And so I've been hit a few times. And you could tell when I preach. And so the, the, the deal is the, the devil was cast down. And then when he saw, when it came to his senses, it happened so fast, it caught him off guard. But when he came to... He began to persecute the woman which brought forth the man-child. Talking about the church. And the reason why he attacked the church is because he knew he only had a short time. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, A serpent, the devil, began to cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he could cause her to be carried away with the flood. So the enemy's doing everything he can right now with his mouth, speaking things into your mind, speaking things into your ears. That's why you got to be careful what you allow into your ears and what you allow before your eyes. Because you keep streaming all that junk, you'll get swept away in the stream. And so the enemy just keeps pouring out all this distraction, all this discouragement, all this to deflate your faith. And as he begins to cast out, he's trying to sweep the church away in this flood, in this stream. But God is wanting us to shut the mouth of the enemy and to begin to lift up our voice and begin to cry out the evidence, the proof of our faith. 
Matthew chapter 9, verse 28. I'm, I'm just about done. Jesus came into the house, and the two blind men came to him. And Jesus said, do you believe I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. This is why you've got to take personal responsibility about your faith, the evidence of your faith. This is why it's so critical to feed your faith, to relinquish doubt and fear, discouragement. According to your faith. Now think about your own faith right now. Is there any evidence to your faith right now? Do you have any evidence of your faith right now? When you stand in the court of law, will you have any evidence, any proof of that faith? And if you might be here right now saying, well, I don't, I, I don't have any proof. I don't have any feeling. I know I, I, I've, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I know I've been baptized. I just I feel so weak. I feel so depleted. I feel so defeated. We go to 2 Corinthians 4.13. We have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. If faith is the evidence, if faith is the documents needed in the courtroom, if faith is the document, is your proof that you need to bring into the throne room, bring the word into the throne room. Bring the word, bring the documents that will help prove your case. Because when you go into the courtroom, here's what happens. Many times we come to the altar to pray. We go to talk to Jesus, and we just we really don't believe he hears us. We don't believe he cares. We don't believe anything is going to happen. But we're just doing our duty just to check it off that we pray, just to say that, you know, we, we did our little whatever. If that's all we do is just bring that, we're going to have no documentation to provide to the judge for him to do whatever with the case. But if you begin to bring those documents, faith as it is written, if you bring the faith that is described, he says, look, I, can, I have the faith that's been written about. I have the faith from the word of God. And because of the word of God, I can declare. doesn't matter how I feel. It's what I believe. It's what is written. And because what is written, that is my proof. That is my evidence. And so when I approach God, that is the faith I'm going to bring to God. I am going to bring the written word of God. I am going to bring the forever settled word of God. Psalm 119 verse 89 says, thy word, O Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, who hath believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm of the Lord is revealed to those who believe the report. I got the report. I got the documents. And so I believe it. And so when I stand before God, when I stand before the judge, when I stand in that throne room, I bring the word. I speak the word. I pray the word. I declare the word. Psalm 138, verse 7 and 8. Here's some evidence I want you to bring here today to this altar. Though I walk in... In the midst of trouble, you will revive me. Though thou shalt stretch forth thy hand against the wrath of my enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord.
Lord endures forever. Forsake not the work of your own hands. I want to bring another document to the courtroom today. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Isaiah 54.17 says, No weapon that is formed against me will prosper. you got to state your case in the throne room. you got to have evidence to your faith. This is why we got to get in the word unlike ever before. we got to get more into this when we stand before God and mean to declare, God, I have these documentations. Lord, your name and signature is on it. And God, I believe this is yours. And you said that your word's forever settled. You said it's impossible for you to lie. You said that I can do all things. You said no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Let's stand together. When we stand before the judge in prayer, Mark 9, 29, 23, we can read what the judge said. That if we can believe all things are possible to him that believeth. If we can read the words that have been documented in John 14, 14, we can ask anything in his name. You said you would do it. Matthew 18, 18 through 20. Jesus said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you will agree on earth, touching anything that they shall ask, it will be done for them of my father, which is heaven. For two or three gather together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Last portion of scripture. Mark eleven twenty two through 24. Jesus said unto them, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Does anyone have that in your your documentation? Does anyone state that ever? As you're standing there in the court of law, as you're standing there in your prayer room with Jesus Christ, and you got that prosecutor, the devil out here on earth. He, he's got no place in heaven. But as he's, as he's there in your prayer room, as he's there at your workplace, as he's there in your home trying to speak into your ear all these doubts and trying to, trying to cause all this fear and all this worry and all this, 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 this just depreciation of yourself. Jesus said, have faith in God. Everyone say faith. I feel there is there is an attack against faith because if if the devil can suppress our faith he can shut down virtually anything the church is destined to to experience God has already predestined the church to victory the gates of hell will not prevail against the church we it is written we will win but if we give more credence to the voice of the adversary in our minds than this word, we don't have it be effective as it could be in our lives. Jesus said, if you have faith in God and whatever you say to this mountain, and your mountain, whether it's addiction, whether it's, it's, it's emotion, whether it's finance, you know, and you're about, you know, suicidal because you're just overwhelmed with all this, that's not of God. God wants to turn all those situations around, but you have to have faith in God. 
But we have more faith in the attack of the adversary than we have in our advocate, the Father, who could step in and he could turn around every single situation. We have, we'll give more, more faith, more credence into all the negative than we do in all the things that are written down. God's word is true. And he said, if you would not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things that you say will come to pass, you could have whatever you say. Verse 24, last verse. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray. When you pray, add some desire in there. Add some passion in there. Believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. What don't you have that you'd like to have right now? I'm not, I, and I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, I want a million dollars. I want, I, I want a Lamborghini. I'm not talking about silly, trivial things like that. But what don't you have that you'd like to have? And do you believe that God is able to do it? Because right now is impossible. And this, I, I, I just feel in the atmosphere, there's just this, yeah, yeah. Heard it before. I prayed it before. Those things. Jesus said, according to your faith, be it unto you. That's, that's why we stay where we stay is because we just keep believing it that way. But it's not about your feelings. It's about what is written. These documents. And so time and time again, when I'm discouraged, when I'm defeated, when I'm, when I'm going through whatever, I come to God. I open my Bible. I sit at an altar, whether it be my house or my office or here in the church. And I'll point to that scripture and I'll begin to read it in the presence of God. And I'll read it in the presence of the adversary who's speaking into my ear that wants me to take those thoughts and take ownership of him. But I refuse to let those thoughts lodge into my mind, take root and grow. I believe that God can do all things. And with God, all things are possible to them that believe. If you're here today and you would like prayer and you want to bring the word of God, to this altar today, and you believe that God's going to answer whatever it is you need, I want you to come forward. We're going to pray together. If you like prayer, I want you to come forward. I want to encourage you. I'm not not here to be a jerk. But faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. Is Is that a quotation for me or is that a quotation from the Word? The Word says if you don't have any evidence of your faith, it produces nothing. And faith is not feeling. Faith is obedience. And when we see what God has written, that with his stripes, Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, with his stripes we are healed. And so because of that, I step forward. It's just like when I, when, when, when I pray for someone to get the Holy Ghost, you know, it's just say, you know, Cole doesn't have the Holy Ghost, just hypothetical. But if I pray for him to receive the Holy Ghost and he doesn't, 
that doesn't change what the word says about the Holy Ghost. If I prayed for Jason and he doesn't get healed, that doesn't change what the documents say about healing by the blood of the Lamb. And so if we only pray, if we only lift our voice, if we only approach God based upon how we feel, that is not going to work. It does not work. It cannot work. We have to have faith in the word of God. And by faith, and right now there, there, there's that adversary that wants to quench our faith right now. He wants to suppress it. And why do you think that kind of atmosphere ho- hovers over altar calls like this sometimes? Think about it. Why? Why do you think the enemy wants us to be quiet, wrap this service up, let's forget this awkward moment, and let's leave? Why do you think that? I'm very aware of of the feeling that is in the air right now. I'm very conscious of it, very aware of it, and I could do the courteous thing and just wrap it up and be done. We go on. But I am tired of letting the enemy stand in the courtroom and defeat me from bringing my evidence. There's too much evidence for me not to appear before the throne and say, Jesus, this is what your word said. Jesus, you said I can agree with somebody in a moment and pray and you would be right there and that you would meet that need. Jesus, you said that if I prayed and asked this mountain to move, you can do it. So whatever it is that you need prayer for, if you want God to heal you of your drug addiction, you want God to heal you of your marriage, marijuana addiction. You want God to heal you of your alcohol addiction. You want God to put your family back together. You want God to heal somebody in your family or yourself. I would encourage you to come as close as you can to this altar and don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated because right now, if we do not do that, we're letting the voice of the enemy be stronger and louder than us. He is the accuser of the brethren, but I'm kicking that accuser in the teeth and I'm I'm saying, Jesus, I believe your word. Jesus, I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I need a miracle. I need deliverance. I need healing. I need breakthrough. If you're here right now and you need that, I want you to get as close as you can to this altar. And I want you to lift your hands. And I want you to begin to lift up your voice and call on the name of Jesus. Pastor Jared and I, we're going to begin to pray for you. We're going to lay hands upon you. And I'm believing that God is going to answer a miracle. You need today with a miracle. Come on, lift your hands and voice. Jesus, I'm desperate for a miracle today. Jesus, I'm tired of the accuser having his way in my life. I refuse to believe the report of the devil. I refuse to let the devil have his way with my mind. I want victory today. I want breakthrough today. I want liberty today in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift up your voice. I pray by the power and the authority of the word of God. I pray you take scales off of eyes, open up ears, and I pray revelation coming to this place right now. Come on.